on episode 379 of the YLP podcast. It is the go home episode before Elimination Chamber next Saturday. And well, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, we're going down under. Because we will be talking about Elimination Chamber today. We'll be doing our preview and predictions today. Now you're going to be asking Mr. YLP, the the PLE is going down next Saturday. Why are you going to do it this Saturday. Well, I'll explain that uh, in this week's uh, episode. I'll explain why. It all makes sense, I promise. For those of you who've been in the fold for a while, you know, you know. But of course, we're bringing it back to what is the bread and butter of the YLP podcast, the news of the week. Yes, we are bringing it back and we're going to be talking about a couple good things going down, including apparently TNA and their infinite wisdom decided to let Scott Damore go from TNA, and for the life of me, I can't understand why. But we will be discussing that. That is a big piece of news that went down, um, I believe this past week, if not, the, if not uh, the end of last week, going into this week. Also, from WrestlingNews.co, and this, ladies and gentlemen, this bit of news really warms my wonderful heart, because we, we, we've known for a while now Get that ad off of my screen, please. Thank you. It's been known for a while now that Minneapolis, Minnesota, was going to be was technically was the basic front runner. Nobody was really messing with it. Nobody was really touching it. Everybody was thinking, okay, we're going to Minneapolis. We're going to Vikings country, Skull, and all that good stuff, and enjoy WrestleMania 41 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But there, there's there's a little bit of inkling of news going on that has occurred the past couple of days that may. Uh, Change the minds of those who think they're still going to Vikings country. And if you're a Vikings fan, it just makes sense for you to go to U.S. Bank Stadium. But we may be headed somewhere else at next year's granddaddy of them all. Discuss that as well as a certain member. Well, the former leader of chaos, Mr. Kazuchika Okada. And the news that... To be brutally honest, between you and I, I was even shocked when I heard it. According to comicbook.com, Kazuchika Okada is headed to AEW. Now, I've been trying to confirm and make sure all this is legit. And from what I've seen, this seems like Okada is going to AEW. So we'll be discussing that. We'll be discussing Okada as a whole. We'll dabble into his career a little bit. Depending on, you know, how far I want to go into the well, that is my um, thoughts on New Japan and all that good stuff. But yes, Okada is apparently all elite, and we're going to discuss that signing and what I think that's going to mean for AEW in 2024 and beyond. And we will end today's episode with some very heavy news. Hell, we might, we might even start it. I'm not sure yet. But when I saw this bit of news come through the pipeline, and... I thought we were done with this, to be brutally honest, but apparently we're not done with this, to be brutally honest, because from Vice News, the big article from Vice News, now mind you, I wanted to talk about this last week, and I'll discuss why I wasn't able to uh, discuss pro wrestling as we know it uh, last week, but we found out, Ash, the, we found out about the Ashley Massaro story, for those of you who don't know, um, Ashley Massaro, before she deleted herself, Try to keep it friendly here on today's episode, as much as I can. But, apparently she had said she had been raped on a military base when they were doing their tour of Kuwait. Of course, tour for the troops. Or, I forget what they actually call it for WWE, because they used to do it. Like, something for the troops, I forget. But, 
now apparently this is a legitimate claim that has happened and WWE has denied it. And apparently, according to this article from Vice News, from Tim Marchman, a top former top executive says that he knew. That is what we will be talking about on this week's episode. We're getting back into the full four articles on the docket this week. It's good to be back as always. And let's have a good Saturday. Saturday? Saturday. Shall we? Because ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 379 of the YLP podcast. Let's get that intro. Let's get it started. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling Industry Podcast here, and welcome to episode 379 of the YLP Podcast. So glad to have you guys here with me on this Saturday, and I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast, and as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. It is Saturday, February 17th, 2024 reason I'm talking in this voice is because my roommate is in the room next to me, so I'm not trying to be loud and all that good stuff while she's doing her thing. All good. Anyway, thank you guys for checking out this episode of the podcast. Thankful that you're here on this Saturday. The Go Home Show before Elimination Chamber. And of course, we're going to be doing the Elimination Chamber preview and predictions as well as playing our favorite game here on the YLP Realm, Process of Elimination. Just so you know, it's pre-recorded. I did it the day before the day, I did it, the day before today, yesterday, technically. So I'm gonna try to make it mesh up as much as possible. Forgive me if it doesn't, but either way, we both. But yes, we are talking about Elimination Chamber this week. But of course, we gotta bring it back it's been a minute. So let's talk about it. Let's do a little bit of the news of the week that show discusses all the news is fit for me to talk about. And there's a good amount to talk about. There's a good amount to talk about here today, ladies and gentlemen. Because as we said in the intro to today's episode, this one's going to be a good one. But we can start off a bit light. Bit light before we get into the heavy shit. But let us begin with Kazuchi Kolkata. Let's take it back to the beginning of January. The night before New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 18. We discussed on this show. Whether or not Okada was going to be leaving. New Japan to go to WWE or AEW. Well, me personally at the time thought that I don't think Okada's going anywhere. I mean, Tanahashi's the new president, Arbari's out. Okada was, you know, 
run the fade, wanted to run the fade with Obari anyway, so. Then we found out the news. Well, I found out about the news a couple days ago. That Kazuchika Okada will be leaving New Japan and apparently, or reportedly, going to AEW. Initial reaction when I first heard about the news, I was kind of. Surprised by the announcement, you know, I mean. Takata, my boy, top five dead or alive, you know what I'm saying? And now he's leaving New Japan. I shouldn't be shocked at this point. To be brutally honest, if you have followed Okada's career from the time he pretty much left in misery in TNA to coming back to New Japan and immediately beginning his run as becoming the ace of New Japan, this man had a career in New Japan. One a run. I think I actually... Did I watch the other one? Let me see. It's 24. What if I... 17. First one, Prince of Kingdom was 2017. I'm trying to think, was it around that time? But we'll figure it out with the article. But Okada's career in New Japan has been something the likes of some... I've just enjoyed his run in New Japan. And... Especially upon the news that Will Ospreay is leaving New Japan to go to AEW, it's going to be interesting to see how, if they even try to fiddle with Okada and Ospreay somewhere down the line in AEW. It's a very big move in the grand scheme of things. Because there was news, of course, of talking about, you know, Okada bringing, if Okada came into WWE, he would start an NXT, which would make, which to me at the time made a lot of sense. Given the fact that, you know, he would, you know, have to learn the American style. If he went straight to the main roster, it might look weird. Although, if you know how to, you know, run King's Row type shit, you'd be just fine. Y'all figuring it out. But, um,. So that was, like, my thought was, like, Okada goes into NXT and pretty much just runs house. Okada dragging off came to mind a couple times. It was quite nice. And if they take took care of him in NXT, it might be about a year or so before we see him in the main roster. Which would have been buck wild, because that would have just been, like, Seeing him at the Royal Rumble 2025 type shit. You know what I'm saying? But then we hear the news. Then I see it on my feed on Instagram. And we see... Photo of Okada. All Elite. I was surprised. Surprised, to say the least. But let us get into this article, of course. Kazuchika Okada is all elite. 
how AEW's newest signing will spearhead company's next golden era. From Liam Crowley. Crowley. Kazuchika Okada is all elite. It was reported earlier this month that the Rainmaker had agreed to do a deal with all elite wrestling following the conclusion of his commitments in the Far East for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Okada's NJPW exit shocked many as he was largely expected to be a New Japan lifer, only working in wrestling promotions for one-off matches. At 36 years old, oh shit, we're the same age, nice. Okada remains in the prime of his career, but having accomplished everything there is to do in NJPW, facts, taking his talents to the United States and performing at a mainstream level gives the former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion a completely new slate of challenges. Now they ask, who is this man? Who is this man? Kazuchika Okada is one of the most decorated and critically acclaimed professional wrestlers going today and is in my top five. Not my fave five. Top five. Currently, Okada will always be in there. He is a man after my heart. Debuting for New Japan in 2007, Okada wrestled a handful of lower card matches before being sent to TNA, New Japan's partner at the time, to hone his craft. That TNA run would go down in infamy as Okada be- took on a gimmick akin to the Green Hornet superhero franchise. NJPW was said to be so frustrated with how TNA handled Okada, a talent that he believed could be a generational star, that it was contributing factor towards its decision to, se- to sever the relationship between the two shortly after. Upon his return to NJPW in the 2010s, Okada joined top heel faction Chaos and adopted the Rainmaker persona, a character he still portrays to this day. Okada describes the Rainmaker as a hybrid of the three wrestling styles he learned, in-ring action in Mexico, fighting spirit from Japan, and sports entertainment from the United States. From there, everything started going right for Okada. He won the G1 Climax in August 2012 at just 24 years old, becoming the youngest victor in the Round Robin Tournament's history. That G1 Climax one would be just the first of four wins in his New Japan career, a quantifiable accolade that sits just second to his seven total IWGP Heavyweight Championship victories. Beyond the gold, Okada's headline NJPW Wrestle Kingdom, professional wrestling's largest non-WrestleMania annual event on eight separate occasions. So how does he help AEW? Kazuchika Okada's signing fits nicely with AEW's recent acquisitions. In the past couple of months, AEW has added the likes of Will Ospreay, which was insane. Diana Perrazzo, which was a very nice surprise. And the bounty hunter Brian Keith to its ranks. Now, for those of you who don't know about Brian Keith, um, you're going to. I've been kind of following him for a little bit. For anyone who does know, uh, we'll, we'll let's take it back a little bit, a couple of years. Um, I believe it was, yeah, it was um, Limitless Wrestling in Maine. And it was Carmelo Hayes' last show in the company. Finding Daniel Garcia for the world title. That match, it, well, in that card I should say, well, Christian Casanova and Daniel Garcia was fantastic. I'm just saying it was, we saw the future of Carmelo Hayes right before our very eyes. And it was beautiful. And Daniel Garcia's as well. Um, but there was a certain match that I had where we sponsored. And Ricky described it as, you know... For those who know me, I like finding new talent to see, you know, who's the next up and coming. I like to keep my eye on that. And Brian Keith has been one that I have been following, and he is a hell of a talent. So, Brian Keith 2024 is something I am thoroughly behind, and I'm glad that he's in AEW, as long as they keep playing Swisher House. It's always good in my book. 
Anyway, getting back into the article, all those aforementioned names, biggest accomplishments came into Japan, TNA, and the independent circuit, respectively. Unlike most of AEW's high-profile additions, none of these recent signings can be written off as ex-WWE guys. Why? (laughs) While there's no harm in bringing in talent formerly employed by the largest professional wrestling company in the world, there's something to be said about building AEW around talent unfamiliar to a mainstream televised audience. Bringing in Okada arguably the best, biggest wrestler that has yet to compete on weekly television to AEW Dynamite and AEW Collision allows AEW to use a unique star power while also being able to claim distribution ownership to his talents. The same cannot be said for former WWE wrestlers who, while they may genuinely be thriving in AEW, are not necessarily new to weekly wrestling television. Beyond that, Okada's presentation is a perfect hybrid of what AEW excels at as well as what AEW needs to develop in-ring action and character work. Okada is second to none when it comes to his matches, as the Rainmaker holds a monopoly on most critic star ratings. <laughs> Excuse me. That said, his matches are only so successful because of his storytelling ability. His Tokyo Dome clashes with Hiroshi Tanahashi tell the tale of generations colliding. His series about opposite Kenny Omega created a multi-year arc about what it takes to sit atop New Japan's mountain. His recent clashes with Brian Danielson blend technical and with strong style to create narratives about triumph through turmoil. When Okada does arrive in AEW, he'll have a library's worth of stories waiting to be told. Renewed rivalries with Omega and Danielson? Check. Fresh fights with Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland? Ready and waiting. Comedic clashes with Orange Cassidy and Daniel Garcia? Open for business. Now, just in case y'all forgot, Orange Cassidy is chaos, honorably. He's an honorary member of chaos. I know Trump Red is definitely chaos. And through and by proxy, they are chaos. As said by Okada. So, there you go. But apparently, Liam's saying AEW's next golden era. The numbers don't lie when it comes to deciphering AEW's most successful period. August 21 up until roughly June 2022 saw AEW reach unprecedented levels of winning. The young company brought CM Punk out of retirement. Lennon Brian Danielson just four months after he had like WrestleMania 37, which was crazy, and regularly performed in the seven figures for Dynamite. AEW shows were even outselling WWE tickets in various markets. Things simmered of the eight after the infamous AEW All Out 2022 press conference, or as we call it around here, Brawl Out. And while there have been occasional surges here and there, AEW is yet to return to the steady success it enjoyed during that 10 month time period. That changes in 2024. AEW President Tony Khan has already declared that 2024 AEW is the next 2021 AEW, teasing that he has the pieces in play to bring AEW success levels back to where it was three years ago. Considering a big reason for AEW's 2021 stride was the signings of Punk and Danielson, Khan likely sees confirmed acquisitions Will Ospreay and Deanna Perrazzo, as well as heavily indicated additions like Okada and Mercedes Monet, as being extra boosters to newfound prosperity. AEW fans have heard that coin flip before, but this one will send shockwaves through the industry. Well then. Seems like it's going to be a little bit of show and prove time now, isn't it, kids? What AEW has done. I mean, Will Ospreay alone is a big deal. I was actually watching. What the fuck was I watching? Will Ospreay versus Gunther. 
What a match that was. That was actually a pretty sweet match. I'm not going to lie. Then I saw Zack Zaber Jr. versus Walter versus Travis Banks. And then I saw someone's chest get caved in. And I was like, holy shit. Anyway. Okada going to AEW is huge. And we're not even going to kind of look down not seeing the 100,000 pound elephant in the fucking room. Okada's a big fucking deal. Osprey coming to AEW is a big deal. Some will say Deanna Perrazzo not going to AEW is not a big deal. I think it's a big deal. I think it makes sense. I think the feud she's having ongoing with Tony Storm is a thorough proof of that. So, um, yeah. But dare I say, and Mercedes with Monet is going to be the big one. That's going to be the real big one. When she shows up in AEW, they're not doing big business in Boston for just, you know, big business in Boston. There's someone that's from Boston that's wrestled in the Boston area in New England as a whole before she became the, you know, the real deal. Holyfield, you know what I'm saying? That's going to be the big one. Not necessarily a middle finger, but an expected one. And that's the one that's really going to be the one that sends shockwaves. But me tinks, at least in the grand scheme of things, there could be a nice little triumvirate feud between Storm, Perrazzo, and Monet. That would be nice. I think that would actually be nice. It would work out. I'd enjoy that. Yeah, I would enjoy that. That would be a good feud. Just let them feud through the entirety of 2024 and just bring certain characters into the fold as well and just make it just a, a massive, fantastic renaissance of the women's division in AEW. But let me get back to Okada. Because that is the topic of discussion at the moment. The possibilities for Okada are endless. And that's not being cliche, that's just a matter of fact. Okada in AEW is going to be insane. The all-outs. The all-ins in Wembley. The full gears, the revolutions. Okada could be on top of the sport by 2025. I mean, yeah, Samoa Joe is the guy right now, but... I don't think they're you know just gonna have him just be a serviceable hand for Samoa Joe at some point. Okada's a big fucking deal. Not because I said it, because it's been evident ever since he came back into the fold in 2010 in New Japan. And mind you, if you don't know about the Okado gimmick in TNA. Go see Nate. Nate's got you. <laughs> Nate has can fill you in on that, and and I'm sure I'm sure you'll be the same boat as I am. But the fact that you had fucking gold while Okada was in TNA, and you gave him that. The man could have been a TNA Hall of Famer. I'm just saying. 
just saying. I'm not mad at y'all. But the way Okada is now, going into AEW in his prime, Mans went from bullshit greenhorn gimmick to about to be in one of the top two promotions in all of North America and the world. It is insane how big this move is for AEW. It's it's insane how big this move is for the entirety of professional wrestling around the world. Not only is New Japan losing Osprey, they're losing Okada. Their ace, their boy. The guy that beat Tanahashi. Lost to him, walked away crying. Came back next year, beat him. I believe. But Okada's run in New Japan has been the stuff of fucking legend. And I'm not even going to try to compare Nakamura's and Okada's and all that shit. Both of their careers in New Japan were fucking fantastic. Nakamura's entrances alone at Wrestle Kingdoms could just be that. That will just be the resume. And I would just be like, okay, yeah, I can fuck with that. Because it's Shinsuke Nakamura fucking more. But this is Kazuchika goddamn Okada. The feud you can have in AEW. Rekindling the feud with Jay White. Which underrated feud for Okada in New Japan I'm just saying very solid feud I think in my opinion I mean Danielson again Cole be funny if he tagged with Cassidy that would just be the full of memes for me eight man tags with best friends cause why not they're chaos Swerve Hangman MJF, Samoa Joe, I mean, Moxley, feud with Moxley, feud with, feud with Claudio, feud with Yuta. The possibilities are endless for Okada. Possibilities are endless for Osprey, for Peraza, and we hope Monet. In AEW, is going to be insane. I mean, if 2023 was any indication of what they're capable of, 2024 is going to be a fucking renaissance. Maybe this is the year AEW gets it right. Fully. And I've been not to be a smart ass or anything like that. But, you know, your promotions have ups and down years. As WWE, they had a fucking damn near decade run of trash. Don't be mad at me. Y'all saw the product. Maybe we're watching something different. I don't know. But the moment you hear that coin drop, and wherever they decide to debut his ass at, you better be ready. This man is a five-star, grade-A certified banger pro wrestling machine. I am telling y'all right now, for those of you who have not seen Okada just yet, 
Hadn't watched The Forbidden Doors. Didn't watch the original All In. Okada vs. Skrull, if I'm not mistaken. It is going to be something that I'm going to be very, very happy with if they present Okada correctly. That is the key. This is the Rainmaker we're talking about. You don't change shit. You just book him to kick ass. You book him to have banger five-star matches for your company. You pretty much brought him into the fold because you know how much of a commodity he is. I know much of how much of a commodity he is. As a person who's watched most of his career in NGPW, I, I, I think it's safe to say um, AEW's got a hell of a talent. They know it. We know it. He wasn't on Forbidden Doors card for nothing. They know what he's capable of, and they know what they have in him. You leave him on Dynamite every single fucking week, let him get used to the art. I mean, if they still allow him to do NJP strong, NGW, NGPW strong shows, yeah. Have him sign him the fuck up. But if he's going to be strictly AEW, yeah, you have to book this man like you know who the fuck he is. And the second when he steps out, the crowd's going to go bananas every time for his fucking song. You did the right thing, AEW. You got your mans. Let's see if you can actually, you know, do right by Okada and especially by me. But we shall move on. Let us move on to some TNA. I don't do TNA news often, but when Anthem decided to stupidly get rid of their uh, main guy that has been there forever and has been a wonderful joy in, in TNA, they let him go. And from WrestleZone.com, an update on Scott Demore's TNA wrestling exit from Colin Tessier. A new report provides an update on Scott Demore's shocking exit from TNA Wrestling on February 7th. Again, I know, I know, we're going to talk about it this week, but calm the fuck down, shut up. <laughs> Anthem announced that Scott Demore's contract had been terminated and Anthony Ciccioni was appointed as his replacement. The move shocked the wrestling world as Demore was leading the charge in the company's new era. Sean Ross of Fightful via Fightful Select reports an update on the situation. Sap writes that the wheels were in motion a month before Anthem announced the news. The report notes that Demore did not want to leave, though Anthem had indicated that they wanted to present the exit as a mutual one. How can... Per Sap, Demore insisted on the contrary and he did not step down. However, Anthem is based in Ontario, and with their strict employment laws and not agreeing that the departure was mutual, was in Demore's best interest. Sap cites correspondence between Damore and TNA to aid in the transition to Siccioni. However, Damore made it clear that he did not want to leave. Sap reiterated previous reports that Damore tried to buy TNA, but these efforts, which came after his firing was made known, were turned down. Now we have an update on their uh, increase in budget. Sap also points to the rumors that TNA's increase in budget and uh, production upgrades. However, he cites the Anthem sources who noted that many of these were linked to software upgrades. Per Sap, the company wanted to reduce some costs, though the schedule looks to be the same. Additionally, Sap writes his TNA talent he heard from were overwhelmed and unhappy about Demore's exit, as many were loyal to him. And so loyal to the point that they actually wrote a letter to Anthem. 
voicing their frustration with Scott Dunmore's exit. This is insane. Now, quote, excuse me. Much like many wrestling fans, many TNA employees were unhappy with this decision. As such, several talents have penned a letter to Anthem expressing their frustration and disappointment with Demore being forced out of the company. This statement was later obtained and released by Sean Rossap of Fightful. Quote, TNA Impact is not just our employer and the company for which we work. It is a family. A family that each of us has grown to love and cherish and trust with our bodies and our careers. A family for which we feel deeply and a desire above all else to protect. We are deeply saddened by the decision to remove Scott Demore from the TNA Impact family. Scott is a brilliant wrestling mind that has guided this company and has a position to take the next step upward in our industry. Scott is also so much more than this. He's a trusted friend, confidant, teacher, advisor, brother, and mentor to so many within the TNA Impact family. Scott has been the heart of the TNA Impact family for over two decades. You know, I just don't get it. Man was not even president of the company for a year. Before they decided to tell him to get the fuck out of there. It is insane to me. Excuse me. How you have a mind like Scott Damore in your company. And you're ready, willing, and able to to lead him into back into TNA. Like when they made the announcement that Impact was going back to TNA, I was just like, "Yes, this is what we need. This is what we got. This is what we got to do right now. That's the move." TNA was everything to me when I was like, like a teenager. 12, 13 years old, I wasn't, you know, really feeling what WWE was doing, but I saw TNA Friday every three on you know 3:30 on Fox Sports Net. And I saw the six-sided ring and I saw all these guys and was trying to figure out what it was. And I'm just like, damn, this is interesting. You know, it was very different because of the six-sided ring, of course, and then kind of helped me re-fall in love again, kind of. With uh, professional wrestling, and I got into it. I became a member of the TNA Street Team all day with the Pope. Yeah, yeah, I was that dude. And Scott Demore was basically playing a role in my watching of TNA because of the fact that he was part of Team Canada. And Bobby Roode was it? P.D. Williams, Eric Young. There was always that fourth one. I forgot. They always changed it too. Eh, it'll come to me. Frats, if you if Frats can email out <laughs> my Canadian brethren, I need to know. I mean, I, I know I know there was a couple members that were a part of Team Canada, but you you don't let Scott Demore go. It's Scott Demore, okay? It's Scott fucking Demore, and it's not even like. This man was going, like, in my mind, he was going to lead the charge for TNA into 2024. 
all signs were go. Everything was clicking. Vantham was just like, you can go fuck yourself. 20 years he was in that company, dude. 20 fucking years. Like, that was beloved in TNA. Had a mind for the business. One of the smartest guys in the game. Like, was, like, literally making TNA the legitimate number three. They'll always be number three. It's not even close. Even when WCW was there. Actually, no, because like, uh, TNA was kind of, yeah. Even when, even, when, even when WCW wasn't there, they were always still number three. They tried to be number two. And thought they were number one, did the Monday night thing, and I realized they weren't number one at all, so that's why they went with the three. And forever, they'll be three. But, I am very disheartened by the release of Scott Demore in TNA. It is painful to see that happen. Painful. Okay, so Anthony Nisicioni is now the president. Do I care? No. It's Scott fucking Demore. Anthem done fucked up and they know it. Well, they're going to find out. Hard to replace a mind like Scott Demore, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you, like I said, you just brought back the TNA banner. And then you take out the one guy who basically was just like, who made the announcement for you and your company. And still you let him go. It boggles my mind even to this day. I don't know where Scott Demore goes next. Um, wherever he may go, I wish him the best in his, in his, and I don't mean to sound like a dick, but I don't, I mean, you know, I wish him the best in his future endeavors. I really do. But I think Anthem's going to realize they made a really, really fucked up decision in allowing Scott Moore to leave the company. When they were on the precipice of, you know, breaking through that wall, that glass ceiling. I don't know what they're gonna do. I really don't. Wish them the best. I do. I don't think it's gonna end well, though. I don't think it's gonna end well, and it's not gonna be pretty. We'll see how it goes, and we'll keep an eye on it, but trust me, I'm just as concerned as you are. But we'll see what happens. But that's going to con- you know, conclude the first half of the news we got for you this week. When we come back, though, got a couple more bits of news before we head on to our preview and predictions for Elimination Chamber. Of course, Minneapolis, the front runner to be WrestleMania 41's location, but they may no longer be the front runner to host that weekend, according to WrestlingNews.co. And then... We're going to get into the Vice article. Yeah, that Vice article. Yeah, the one that talked about, you know, rape and all that cover-up nonsense. 
We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss. We'll see how it goes. On the other side of episode 379 of the YLP podcast, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with episode 379 of the YLP podcast, getting back into the news of the week. But before we do, I would be a fool and I shout out my brethren, my squadron, my people at Russell Attic Radio Tuesdays. Get your fix of all things TNA. And as far as I know, it's still Brace for Impact podcast. Talking about all things TNA, but the yesteryear of TNA, let Nate be your Sherpa. On the excursion that is going through the years of the original TNA Wednesday nights, of course. Don't forget to check out the Kings of the Rings podcast every Wednesday night live on the YouTube, Twitch, and X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Bird thing. Or maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, you can catch them every single Wednesday night. Let's just say otherwise. On YouTube, Twitch, and uh, Twitter. Talking about all things wrestling, pop culture, all that good stuff. Hosted, of course, by the one and only King and Ricky Rose, Voltaire Shook, and the artist that we currently know. That's K motherfucking Murphy. Now known as K Fabe. And Boris and Frankie are the hopefully future tag team champions. Giving you all the good stuff every single Wednesday. Then we head over to Fridays. Get your fix of the Rufus Aggression era on the Fretzelmania podcast hosted by my brother to the north and trader connoisseur, Mr. Fretz. Every single week, check him out. And then, of course, you got me kicking off your weekend in proper YLP fashion with the YLP podcast because it's Fretzelmania Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Let us get back, though, into the news of the week as we head over to WrestlingNews.co. Minneapolis may no longer be the frontrunner to host a WWE WrestleMania 41. This is, here's the latest from Andrew Ravens. WWE may no longer be heading to Minneapolis to host WrestleMania 41 as another city is being looked at. WrestleMania 40 will take place on, on April 6th and 7th at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The top matches announced thus far is Cody is no far R. Anyway, Cody Rhodes versus the undisputed WWE Universal Champion Mr. Roman Reigns and Women's Champion EO Sky versus Bailey. The Rock is also slated to wrestle at the event. Dating back to 2015, Minneapolis, Minnesota was rumored to host WrestleMania, including WrestleMania 33 in 2017, but Orlando, Florida got the honor. It's been believed that WWE should go to the city, they would host it. Go to the city. They would host it from U.S. Bank Stadium, which is where the NFL's Minnesota Vikings play. It's an indoor stadium, so the weather won't be a concern. It has a capacity of up to 73,000 seats for events. For several months, the frontrunner had been in Minneapolis. However, there have been some rumblings of it possibly being a Las Vegas, as Vital Vegas noted an announcement is anticipated soon. And as they say on their Twitter page, quote, early word. WrestleMania is coming back to Las Vegas. Announcement anticipated soon. This will be the first WrestleMania in Vegas since 9 in 1993 at Caesars Palace. And we all know what the fuck happened with that one. So hopefully we'll make a better version of it if it's the case. 
They had some sort of news conference in Vegas yesterday for XL to be held in Philadelphia. Now, I have made the declaration. At least within the confines of the YLP realm and the WrestleNet Radio uh, Discord. Which, if you want to join, you can head over to our uh, main Twitter page uh, at at Attic Russell underscore Russell. Click on the Linktree page. There's an invite for you to go to the Discord. Um, you will be given an invite by our general manager, King Ricky Rose. You click yeah on that, and then you are in the Discord. So do not hesitate to head, uh, head over to our Twitter page and hit that Linktree and join us in our Discord. We actually uh, are more than likely... I don't think we're definitely not doing a... Um, yeah, because we have different... Uh, Little sections, you know, WWE chat, NXT chat, Ring of Honor, uh, AEW chat. The World Wrestling Sanctum is where I reside, pretty much, where we're talking about everything that's not AEW, Ring of Honor, NXT, and all that good stuff. New Japan, ones around the world, all those newsers are in there. We also have the War Lounge, where we get to pretty much chill, hang amongst and amongst our brethren, watch uh, pay-per-view events. Uh, the last one we did was the Royal Rumble. Uh, we also, no, we didn't do the um, press conference. I don't think we did that. But more than likely, we'll be, probably we'll be doing WrestleMania. Um, so, yeah, if you want to join us on the road to WrestleMania, why not hang out with us in the War Lounge? It's going to be a good time. And ever since, yeah, check that out. Check that Discord out. But anyway, I had declared that the only time I would go to WrestleMania, given the fact that I live in Colorado and I live in the Denver metropolitan area, I personally would go to that. We'll go to one in Vegas. Two and a half hour flight for me. Me, it would be super easy. And if I get a, you know, book a hotel on the strip, 15 minute walk to Allegiant Stadium. Wouldn't even be an issue. Vegas or nothing for me. Because they, honestly, if they did it in Arizona, I go. If they did it in Texas, I go because I would mean I get to see my cousin and my, fam- my uncle and them down there in Texas. Actually, my uncle's in them because I got two down there that live in Texas. And my cousin and my auntie in them. So I would love nothing more than to see a WrestleMania in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is on my bucket list and I want to go to a WrestleMania one day. So if everything stacks up right, we could be seeing a WrestleMania in Vegas. I think it should happen. I think it needed to happen for a long time. I think the fact that we just had the Super Bowl in Allegiant Stadium and how crazy that was, I think it would make sense and I would be remiss to think maybe WWE is going in a different direction. Don't get me wrong. Minneapolis would be a wonderful site, a wonderful situation, all that stuff, but WrestleMania in Vegas, though, to break the curse of WrestleMania 9, what is undoubtedly one of the worst WrestleManias of all time, especially with the ending of WrestleMania 9, and we're not going to get into that because that'll just make me angry, and we have no time to be angry this week. <laughs> well, until the next article, of course. But I, th- I think it's been a works for a very long time. I think WWE has been wanting to do a WrestleMania in Vegas, and now that they have a Legion Stadium and all that good shit, I think it just makes all the sense in the world for WWE to just be like, you know what? Minneapolis is going to have to wait until 42 for this one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for me, it would be pretty easy. For the rest of the of the uh, WrestleMania Radio Squadron, if they chose to go to Vegas and um, be there for WrestleMania, it would be a little bit more expensive for them. So I can fully understand, you know, how that would work. But for me, oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, I definitely do WrestleMania in Vegas. Never been to Vegas before. Heard it's, heard it's nice. And uh, yeah. I don't see why not. I really hope, you know, fingers crossed on my end. Because then now, I mean, if they make the announcement that it's going to be in Vegas next year, holy shit. Because then, if I'm if I'm right, trying to think, would they do? Yeah, they would. Because that would also mean they would probably have a stop in Denver on the road to WrestleMania too. As Mr. Dink would say back in the day, very expensive. But um, <laughs> if y'all know, y'all know. I'm 36, so y'all definitely know what I'm talking about. But if you know, you know. Very expensive. Boom, 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 boom. Anyway, but no, I would love to see that WrestleMania in Vegas one of these days. If it is next year, cool. We can plan, you know, I can start to figure that out because that would be insane. But um, yeah, I think, you know, if Minneapolis is not going to be the move, do Vegas. Because I think they kind of need to break the curse of nine. Because we don't want to remember, I don't want to remember nine for what nine is. I want to remember, like, yo, they actually had a good WrestleMania in Vegas. That's crazy. Well, what about nine? You shut up about nine. But no, I'm gonna leave it at that. If they go, if they do Vegas, you know, for 41 and make the announcement that it's 41, holy shit! It is, it is. I know I'm gonna get in the text from Ricky <laughs> talking about. Well, <laughs> that would be like, well, we'll see how it goes, though. We'll see how the announcement goes. Of course, they're gonna announce it after WrestleMania 40 is off the air. And you know, they're either night one or night two. They usually announce it. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And if it's Vegas, holy fuck. Anyway, getting into our last article of the week and this one is one i've been wanting to get into since the last week and um if i hadn't seen it before on the and my apologies for not having an episode out last week i was going through some diarrhea and nausea so i'm gonna leave it at that it was a very rough day <laughs> and i was like kind of like the one day maybe i could have been able to do it but it just no Mm-mm. i was i was very under the weather that day so i had to call it an audible and wait until next week to actually talk about this article now, for those of you who may not know, and if you are new here, welcome to the fold. We have, of course, you know, an assortment of treats and drinks for you to enjoy as you make your way into the fold. We hope you enjoy your stay. Ashley Massaro was a, is a very, very dark cloud above WWE. Not because of anything that she did. It's what WWE did to her, and um, you know there was always there, for years. She had alleged that she had been sexually assaulted, raped, and WWE pretty much was just like, Meh. you know what I'm saying. Now, in light of everything that's going on with Mr. McMahon as of late, especially with the allegations that we spoke about two weeks ago with Janelle Grant, former WWE employee. It is very, very, very disheartening that once again, WWE now has to deal with the denials. And I mean, if we're being brutally honest, and I don't know if I'll say anything about it in the Elimination Chamber preview and predictions, but I'll say it here. Um, the main reason why The Rock, at least, at least it is in my opinion, that Given the fact that the, that we knew that you know that, that we now know that the deal for The Rock to come back into the fold was done on January third, given the fact that he also didn't want to compete in the Royal Rumble, but hey, we ball regardless. It makes more sense now as to why 
they decided to drop this news on top of everything that's going on with Vince because they because they want us to not not, not think about Vince McMahon. They want us to be focused on the fact that The Rock is really basically, you know, was given his spot by Cody Rhodes and everybody went ape shit. Essentially, it worked. We got worked. But when this one was confirmed, um, it sent chills up my spine and made me feel some type of more ick on top of what I was already feeling with the ick that was Vince Kenny McMahon. But the big news that came out of the Janelle Grant bit was this Vice News article. And I had seen it on Twitter. Uh, I think uh, Saul Monster was talking about it. And he said, if, the, if these allegations are legitimately true, which they apparently now are, this is probably even more egregious than we thought. As we get into Vice News article, despite denials, WWE management new wrestler said she had been raped on military base. Now, I'm going to let this note be known right now. If you have kids in the room, please put on some earbuds or anything like that. I don't want them hearing about this nonsense. And I do mean that very, very seriously. And I take it very, very seriously, especially when it comes to cases like these. I will give you all a moment to sort your things out. Give me a moment. Here we go. This is from Tim Marchman. The late wrestler, the late wrestler, Ashley Massaro, said WWE management was aware of of, and covered up her claim to have been raped in Kuwait. WWE's denied it. Now a top former executive says he knew. Vince McMahon stands accused of covering up the alleged rape of a WWE wrestler who later died by apparent suicide at a military base in Kuwait and of sexually harassing her according to legal documents and people who knew her. John Laurinaitis. A former WWE executive and McMahon's co-defendant in an explosive civil sex trafficking lawsuit is also implicated. His lawyer objected to the use of the term cover-up, but confirmed that Laurinaitis knew about the rape allegations and said most upper-level management did, contradicting WWE's claim that executives were never made aware of them. In a sworn affidavit... Her lawyer released in 2019. After her death, former wrestler Ashley Mazzaro said that she was injected with a paralyzing drug and raped by someone representing himself as a U.S. Army doctor while on tour with WWE in Kuwait in 2006. Ashley Mazzaro also said that the top executives at the company, including McMahon and Lord Knight, has told her not to talk about the incident and agreed to not talk about it themselves, in part to preserve the company's relationship with the military. Quote, he told me not to let one bad experience ruin the good work they were doing, Mazzaro said of McMahon in the affidavit. Vice News can report for the first time that the Naval Criminal Intelligence Service opened an investigation into Mazzaro's allegations in 2019. June 2019, I'm sorry. That investigation was closed in January 2020, according to an NCIS spokesperson. Further information, they said, could not be immediately released, as it would need to be obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, or as we call it in the business, a FOIA. In the years since the affidavit was released, new information came to light to corroborate some of Mazzaro's claims and cast doubt on WWE's subsequent denial, even before the statement from Laurinaitis' lawyer, Paul London. Not that Paul London, another. Oh. Laurinaitis' lawyer, I'm sorry. 
Paul London, a former WWE wrestler who dated Masaru when they were both with the company, has also since said that Masaru was herself a victim of Sid McMahon's sexual misconduct. <sighs> the allegations appear in a new light following the filing of a civil lawsuit accusing McMahon of Lord and Laurinaitis of raping a WWE employee and McMahon covering of covering it up by strong-arming her into signing a non-disclosure agreement. Both did not have denied the allegations. I'm not surprised by any of it. London said of the recent claims against McMahon on a podcast released last week. He compared WWE to NXVIM, the cult led by now-convicted sex trafficker Keith Rainier. Laurinaitis' lawyer wrote, any quote, any allegations that Mr. Laurinaitis helped to cover up an alleged rape allegation is an outright lie. Johnny, like most upper-level management at some time, became aware of the allegations and ensured all, pro all proper WWE protocols were followed, including privacy for the alleged victim. We objected to the use of the term cover-up as no such plan or plot ever took place to hide or assist in the alleged rape, end quote. A spokesperson for TKO, WWE's parent company, declined to comment, and a lawyer is said to represent McMahon, McMahon, did not respond to a request for comment. Neither McMahon nor Laura Nidus is now associated with WWE, with McMahon resigning as chairman of TKO the day after the sex trafficking suit was filed. Mazzaro's road to WWE stardom was far from traditional, and she said in her affidavit, rife with mistreatment from the start. In 2005, she was cast in the Diva Search, a reality competition of sorts that aired as a part of the flagship, company's flagship Raw program. As the winner, Masaro received a WWE contract and, despite being, she would later say, completely untrained, excuse me, immediately joined Raw as a wrestler. While wrestling has predetermined outcomes, working with another wrestler to safely execute even basic maneuvers requires intense training. Over the next three years, she performed as a wrestler and valet, a woman who accompanies a male wrestler to the ring, and represented the WWE brand as a Survivor contestant and Playboy model before being released in 2008. In 2016, Masaru joined a lawsuit brought by a number of former wrestlers against Mick Mahan and WWE, seeking damages related to the effects of traumatic brain injuries they, had, they said they had suffered while wrestling. According to the filing in that suit, Masaru said she had been said that she had been sexually assaulted in Kuwait and that Ferdinand Rios, a WWE doctor, had reported the incident to WWE executives who soon therefore met with Mazzaro to apologize for their negligence, but persuaded her that it would be best not to report it to appropriate authorities. <laughs> In a filing the next month, WWE called the claim a stale, baseless allegation and denied Mazzaro had ever reported a sexual assault to anyone affiliated with WWE, saying she had been heard telling others that the doctor had done an inappropriate pelvic exam. As headlines at the time about Dr. Larry Nasser molesting hundreds of girls and women under the guise of medical treatment would have made it clear this can itself be a form of sexual assault. The judge dismissed the case in 2018, after which plaintiff's lawyer Constantine Quiros, whom the judge had sanctioned in order to pay the WWE's fees, filed the first in an ongoing series of appeals. As for comment, Quiros provided a link that he is petitioned to the Supreme Court to hear an appeal. It has previously declined to do so, and noted that Misaro's affidavit was made under oath to a federal judge. The matter sat there until May 2019 when Mazzaro died. While authorities declined to publicly state the cause of death, it was reported, and her survivors have not disputed, that it was by suicide. Subsequently, Giros had published in full the sworn affidavit Mazzaro had signed in November 2017, in which he detailed the allegations about her rape and in WWE's response. Of course, there's a hyperlink in there if you want to read this article. You can read that entirety, the affidavit in its entirety. 
In the affidavit, Mazzaro describes events that says she took place that she says took place on a twenty six a two thousand six tour. The year is incorrectly given as two thousand seven is in the document of U.S. military facilities in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait, on which she and several other other performers and staffers took part. None could be reached for comment. Suffering from dehydration, the statement says she was taken to a military base where she was given an IV and left alone. After a couple of hours, a man representing himself as an army doctor and a woman in fatigues, she appeared. She said appeared, administered another IV and took her to another room. Mazzaro, according to a source with knowledge, was taken to Ali Al Salem Air Base in Kuwait, where the clinic would have been staffed by Navy rather than Army personnel. This would explain why NCIS handled the case, even though Mazzaro said the rapist purported to be an Army doctor. The statement says, and I quote. The woman guarded the door while the man proceeded to inject me with a drug that caused me to be unable to move my body or to scream. The man then proceeded to violently rape and sodomize me. I was completely helpless to defend myself against this attack as the drug he injected rendered me temporarily paralyzed. Despite being unable to control my movements, I remained fully conscious for every second of the attack. End quote. Eventually, the statement says a WWE staffer began banging on the door. The man and woman covered her with a quilt and left the room and the staffer carried away and brought her back to her hotel room. The sequence of events given in the statement include Mazzaro falling ill, going for medical attention, and then being brought back to the hotel is probably consistent with the one described in a 2006 blog post published on WWE's website by Jimmy Hart, one of the performers on the tour. Mazzaro, the statement says, was not in a position to have a rape kit taken and did not report the incident to authorities. She told fellow performers about what had happened, but told them not to report it to anyone. After she returned to the U.S., though, Fernandan Rios, the WWE doctor, questioned her about the incident. She agreed to tell him what had happened as long as she didn't tell anyone else. Subsequently, though, the statement says he informed McMahon, and she was summoned to a meeting with McMahon, Laura Nidus, production chief Kevin Dunn, who is now gone, by the way. Good riddance. Even though we still love you for the Attitude Era, I'll take that. And other men she didn't recognize but believed to be company executives or lawyers. Dunn, who left WWE last month after more than 40 years of serving as one of McMahon's Loyal right-hand man could not be reached for comment. A, a spokesperson from TKO did not provide contact information for a representative for Dunn when asked. Now, mind you, he bounced even before the allegations came out. So, something tells me Kevin Dunn knew and wanted to get out before everything blew up in their faces. The statement reads, quote, Vince led the meeting with these men and asked me to recount what happened in Kuwait. Then he said it was not in the best of best interest of the WWE for me to make the information about my attack public. I was still completely traumatized at that point, and I just agreed. It was clear that there had already been a conversation and that they had reached a decision on their own prior to consulting with me, as this was a, not a debate, but rather Vince instructed me to keep this confidential. It goes on to say, Vince did at least apologize for what I went through, but then stressed that if I disclosed this incident, it would ruin the relationship between the WWE and the U.S. military. He told me not to let one bad experience ruin the good work they were doing, end quote. In a statement issued after the publication of the affidavit, WWE denied its claims. Quote, at no time was Vince McMahon or the management of WWE ever informed by Ashton Mazzaro or anybody else that she had been sexually assaulted, drugged, raped, or sodomized by a military doctor with an understanding guard while on a Goodwill tour in 2007 to military bases in Kuwait. It goes on to say, at no time was there ever a meeting with Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, or any other company executives in which she told them of such a claim, was instructed to keep it quiet. According to what Laurinaitis says, which is corroborated by an interview given last fall by Rios, the doctor, that statement was not true. A TKO spokesperson declined to comment on whether WWE stands by its denial. 
Let me see how long, how much longer we got left on this. Because it is a lot. Either way, we're going to run with it. We're too deep in it now, kids. A paradox of pro wrestling is that for all the secrecy surrounding its inner workings, there is a remarkable, remarkable amount of media in which insiders freely discuss them. An entire ecosystem of podcasts, hi, and streams where current and performer, former performers discuss how things actually work, what people are really like behind the scenes, and what they saw during their careers. As part of that ecosystem, Masaru's stories has been, has been kept alive in the years since her death by wrestling fans and media, and also by people that knew her. One of these podcasts, Cafe de Renee, hosted by former WWE wrestler Renee Dupree, Paul London discussed Masaru last year. Linda and Mazzaro were linked together both on and off screen in her time with the WWE as the two David, two dated, and she also served as his valet. At the time the podcast was recorded, McMahon had recently returned to WWE after resigning in the wake of a Wall Street Journal reporting about secret non-disclosure agreements he signed and allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse against him. He says, quote, I do remember specifically many times that when she would be crying to me because Vince was propositioning her to fly on the jet with them. Vince, Kevin Dunn, buff to buck tooth Bucky, <laughs> would be telling her that she has to fly on the jet with them, or every now and then she was at the. They would always put the divas up at the TV hotel or whatever. McMahon would be knocking on her door and trying to get her to answer. I'm shocked this Vince stuff is just now coming out. London described WWE as an onion of destitution. That's an interesting phrasing, like there. I kind of like that. In another interview on the same podcast just over a week ago. It's really disgusting onion. It's a really disgusting onion full of just layers and layers and layers. As you say, what's known in the wrestling business is I believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. So there's always that weighing on one thing. But of course, I'm going to believe my girlfriend at the time, especially when I can see her physically shaking and disturbed. She was a good actress, but she wasn't that good an actress. Weird flex, but okay. Representative for London did not respond to an email. A TKO spokesperson specifically declined to comment on London's implication that McMahon had harassed or coerced Masaro. Masaro. Kiros, Masaro's lawyer, suggested that career ended at least in part because she rejected McMahon's advances on Banfield podcast this week. Or should I say that particular, or last week, I should say. Last September, Audible released a podcast called Ashley vs. WWE in which people who knew Mazzaro offered new corroboration of claims made in the affidavit. Some of this was less specific, such as her cousin saying she'd Im- Im- in- intimated, jeez, English hard, English, some hard, English sometimes hard, even for myself, that someone had attempted to rape her. Her best friend saying that Mazzaro had told her that her doctor did something to her and that it was swept under the rug, and an unnamed source saying Mazzaro had told them that she had been sexually assaulted and urged by WWE to keep it quiet. More specific new information reported by the podcast, though, contradicts WWE's past denials. Reporter Isabel Thompson talked to London, who described Mazzaro feeling trapped, frightened, and preyed upon when McMahon and Dunn would pressure her to fly on the company jet, or when McMahon would come knocking on her door, hotel door, at night. She said that she had told him she was raped after returning from Kuwait, and that she had met with the WWE executives who told her not to say anything about it. Thompson also reached Ferdinand Rios. The WWE doctor whom Mazzaro told about the rape and whom she reported to, whom she said reported it to McMahon, according to the affidavit. Rios, who did not return a message left with his office, confirmed to Thompson that while the details are a bit unclear in his memory due to the passage of time, he does remember that Mazzaro told him about the rape after returning to the U.S. from Kuwait. Quote, I spoke with her and she told me a little bit about it. End quote, he said. He further said that it was fairly widely known within WWE at the time, saying, quote, those that went... Wolves that went would tell those that didn't go that this happened, end quote. While he said he does believe Masaru's story, 
His recollection differs from what's recounted in the affidavit in one key particular. While she stated that he told McMahon about the incident, he remembers that it was a common there was common knowledge and a subject of gossip, and that he approached Laurinaitis about it only to find he was already aware. Rio said, quote, He already knew, and no one wanted to give me any further details about it. I had nothing to do with it, they said. So it was just sort of a shock, you know, when you're restricted from saying anything else. At some point, Johnny heard about the allegations in general, i.e. that Miss Mazzaro had claimed she had been assaulted in Kuwait, wrote Brennan, Laurinaitis' lawyer, in an email. As to when McMahon found out about the allegations, Johnny has no idea as to when or whether. London says, quote, she was extremely special. I feel extremely fortunate to be in her life and to have her in my life. End quote. good thing I waited two weeks. It is a very good thing I waited two weeks. Otherwise, it would be a very bad night. I, I mean, I've known of these allegations for quite some time now, so it's not like it's not common knowledge to me, maybe new to you. And we just really, really broke it down chapter and verse. Now, we didn't know about that incident, at least I didn't, about what happened in Kuwait, but that's a pretty, oh my God. As I spoke about in the Janelle Grant. That is someone's child. Sister. And. It doesn't surprise me that McMahon wanted her on the jet. Doesn't surprise me that McMahon wanted her to fly with Kevin Buck. Two piece of shit done. You wonder why he would. He pretty much pieced out way before all this started. This is. I mean, at this point, honestly, like this, this the Masaro story. Like this was a sad story. I haven't listened to Salamonsters' uh, version of it yet, but I do plan on it probably after this podcast and it is just a very sad story of what happened to her she was under the care of our military and that happened to her and then WWE covered it up because they wanted to maintain their relationship with the military keep up appearances we can't have this come out why not this is why Vince McMahon is the piece of shit that he actually is that's why John Lauren Ice is the piece of shit that he actually is Kevin Dunn being the piece of shit that he actually is no he's, he's just weird but The fact that the, the crazy thing that blows my mind is the fact that there was common knowledge. That's what trips me out the most. Like, it was talked about. It was gossip. It was just something that was always being discussed. Yet, nothing was truly done about it. 
And this is why I said back in 2022, Vince McMahon needed to ride out into the sunset. Because now that we know it's a cover, like, that's now Vince McMahon's legacy. Tarnished. By the fact that, as my mom would simply put it, he couldn't keep his dick in his pants for more than five seconds. But in this case, this was this is ha- this happened to one of his employees. And instead of doing the right thing, which was actually getting on the military's ass. Because last time I checked, shit like that is a dishonorable discharge. And as a person who is the son of airmen, I kind of have an idea of what happens when you get a dishonorable discharge. That means no benefits. That means no GI Bill. That means no VA. That means pretty much you are just... You are never even thought of as an actual military man. And they let that motherfucker get away with it. usage of paralyzing drugs to do what he did to her vile and then had a female guard watch that's what makes it even worse and WWE really didn't do anything about it It is absolutely despicable what WWE wasn't willing to do for Ashley Mazzaro. And I guarantee you, given the due to that, that's what caused the trauma of this, the, the everything that led to her suicide in 2019. She can no longer live with the fact that no one was willing to help her. Because they wanted to stay in good standing with the military. I have been saying for years that the old guard of WWE needed to go. Oddly enough, I believe CM Punk's pipe bomb that much more. Now he said... WWE won't be better off until Vince McMahon is dead. In some way, shape, or form, he is. No longer on the alumni section. No longer even on the website. No longer even in any part of anything that is WWE. This year will be the first WrestleMania that we do not have a McMahon running the helm. At the helm of WWE. This will be a post events. This will be the legitimate first non McMahon WrestleMania.
I think we're in good hands with Triple H, though. But here's the thing. That we're gonna, I'm gonna leave you guys with this. After WrestleMania is over, after we have all the pomp and circumstance of WrestleMania, and we go, we begin our, you know, final descent back into beginning the road to SummerSlam. Those allegations are just that cover up still going to be there. Those allegations from Janelle Grant are still going to be there, and WWE and TKO are going to have to deal with that, and that's what's going to dominate the headlines. Sure. We'll have about a week's worth of content of WrestleMania. I'll have a big show. But in the grand scheme of things, there's still that black cloud lingering over WWE. One they have not noticed for quite some time. And one that you need to start looking at. Sooner or later, it's going to come rearing its ugly head. And I think a lot of us are going to see a lot come out of this. Landstorm was right in saying that if these allegations are true, WWE needs to clean house immediately. Whoever knew is gone. I think at this point, we're starting to see that. And I think it's right. I think Lane Storm is correct in saying that. WWE needs to clean house. Because if they don't, we're just going to keep dealing with the same old, same old nonsense. And I think that's something we need to start getting away from and start looking towards the future. But that's going to do it for the news of the week for your boy. And when we come back, oh boy, oh boy, the first Preview and predictions of 2024 as we talk about, discuss, and predict this year's Elimination Chamber in Perth, Australia. On the other side of episode 379 of the YLP podcast, we'll be right back. gentlemen of the YLP universe for the first time in a very long time. It is the main eventual segment of episode 379 of the YLP podcast. And of course, we're going to be talking about the Elimination Chamber 2024. And before we get into the, you know, preview and predictions for Elimination Chamber 2024, let us, re- let's, let's remember our record from last year before I took my hiatus from the YLP podcast. We were at 17, not 17, 78, 14, and 1. That With that 1 being the no contest between Baron Corbin and Gable Steveson. And what in the absolute dog shit fuck was that? I still remember that match vividly and it haunts my dreams every once in a while and it just makes me want to throw things. But... That is the only tie we've ever had in the history of the podcast in terms of uh, previews and predictions and whatnot. But 
but, but, but. I know I missed my preview predictions for Wrestle Kingdom. I know I missed it for the Royal Rumble. But I'm not going to miss the road to WrestleMania. And plus, there's a lot more coming up. Of course, we got Revolution. We've got Elimination Chamber. We've got Mania coming up, which is going to be a big one. Um, but the goal, of course, and I'm, I'm making a declaration this year, I want 85 dubs on 2025. Can I, could I, could I honestly have hit 100? Yes. I honestly believe if I had not taken my hiatus, I would have been at 100 wins for the year, but that's okay. You know, we got to take care of ourselves when we need to get our minds right, you know, even though we took longer than expected in terms of hiatuses, but hey, we ball regardless. We've got to do what we got to do. And then we can get back into the fold when we are feeling it and we are ready to do what is what we do. And I believe that with Elimination Chamber comes a wonderful game that most of you may, that most of you may remember. Uh, for those of you who are new to the YLP podcast, first and foremost, welcome to the festivities. Uh, we do have cookies, drinks, and all that good stuff, as well as tea. We also have drinks at the bar if you like to enjoy yourself. Welcome to the YLP realm. But... For those of you who are back into the fold, y'all know what time it is. We're going to be playing, of course, my one of my favorite games, the Process of Elimination. And the reason we have Process of Elimination is just merely because of Elimination Chamber itself. And then we also have a sound clip that goes along with it. You'll enjoy it, as most of y'all have, and I greatly appreciate that. But you may be asking yourself, Mr. YLP, why are you doing preview and predictions for Elimination Chamber the week before the actual show itself. I'll tell you why. Simply because of the fact that when I've done previews and predictions for shows the week of, I felt like it kind of, at least on my end, personally, I felt like I was actually, you know, kind of rushing to do predictions because I needed to get it out there. And I thought to myself, let me try it a week before. Now, usually, for the most part, the week, week of is just go-home weeks. There's not going to be much of anything, you know, changing or added to the card. And WWE, as of late, at least under Triple H's era, you know, has kept it, you know, okay, these are the matches we're working with. We're not going to add anything crazy. We're just going to, you know, round out everything that we need to do, and we're good to go. Now, I tried it. So when I did the week before... It made sense to me because then I can do kind of like more of the news of the week stuff the week of for the go-home show before a pay-per-view, premium, by the way, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. And that's the way we got, that's kind of, it made more sense to me to kind of do it the week before, do the go-home news, you know, for that week, and then we can talk review it the week after. Simple enough. So that is why I now, and will be moving forward, um, doing preview predictions the week before. Go home week, we'll do, we'll talk about the news going into the premium live event or pay-per-view, depending on which promotion you're talking about. Week after, we'll do the review. Simple enough. Shake hands. Got it. Now, as a person who did watch the Royal Rumble, then woke up Friday in the morning uh, after the Royal Rumble and saw what happened with Cody giving up his spot to The Rock and uh, my mind was just literally on 10,000 thinking, what are we doing here? Why are we booking it this way? Then we had the whole WrestleMania kickoff, John, the week after that. And leading into the SmackDown uh, the week after and I'm just like, I'm going to go fucking off. Pardon my French. But at least to me, at least now, and, and I will say this again, 
I am sorry that I did not make it into the fold uh, for last week's episode. And, uh, you know, had a, had a lot of stomach issues and fluids coming out at two ends. But hey, I haven't, you know, an unfortunate case gave me an extra week to kind of assess things, you know what I mean? And what I, what I kind of figured out is that, and now hearing about what I'm hearing now, um, as of this recording, of course, you know, we are now at the point where The Rock was going to be the heel, now, was, is now the heel going into this, taking bits and pieces from his Hollywood Rock gimmick, which, um, not going to lie to you, A, if you're new here, I'm a big fan of heels, and B, I think Hollywood Rock is one of the best heels ever in the business. Circa 2003, those promos, masterclass. I believe the Rock concert was actually around that time, too. I could be wrong. And if I am, let me know. I'm thinking it was around this time, but it could, it could have been a, a couple years later. I'm not sure. On this podcast, we learn. But the way they had The Rock two weeks ago to where we are now, him embracing the Hollywood gimmick, teaming up with Roman, kind of, um, slapping Cody in the face. That was, that was a weird flex, and I'm just like, oh, shit. And... For me, I think this this is just a mere guess at this point because we're still what eight weeks out, seven something like that. Jesus, I just want to get to WrestleMania. But where I'm at now, two weeks later, I am perfectly content with the fact that we are now headed at least for the moment in a solid direction. Cody chose Roman. We saw it on the WrestleMania kickoff. Kickoff. You know, after The Rock declared, you know, Roman declared, which was. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, the Roman coming out and just talking to his. Oh man, it, this was. I'm not saying this is peak Roman, but this is like really. It, yeah, Roman's just like, oh well, Cody, who doesn't want to make a decision, well, I'll make the decision for him. Calling him Mr. Hesitation. I mean, dude. I mean. It was just... I mean, I definitely was laughing. Not gonna lie. You know. Heels are funny. I mean, baby faces can be funny too, but... Heels have more, have more flexibility in what they can do and say. But what we got... What we have now is Hollywood Rock, him now having beef with Cody, Roman now having to deal with the fact that, oh shit, I gotta face Cody at Mania, still trying to figure out what The Rock is going to do at Mania, which, I always came up with, I always had the funny thing, and I, like, the initial part, when Roman, when, when The Rock came back, if they were going to have Rock, I always thought of it as a special guest referee, in, in the sense of the fact that at some point, like we've seen in many Roman matches before, ref goes down, ref bump, interference, have it, do it with what you will. You, you've seen this a little bit of a charade before. But The Rock would, in a sense, make it seem like he was on Roman's side until it got to the point where Roman was about to do some nefarious shit. Rock comes to save the day, 
or Rock, you know, like, you know, Roman hitting Cody with the title. Makes sense. Goes for it. Rock takes, the, it takes it out of your hand. They have the stare down, talking mess, all that, blah, blah, blah. Then you can go kind of into the beginning of your finish. Or like the, the pretty much like the blow up between Rock and Roman. Rock bottom. Hits Sokoa with something. It would be a good visual if he gave the if he gave Roman the people's elbow though. It would be a good visual. That wide shot. Pretty much pretty much like when Okada is doing the rainmaker pose. We go to that wide shot. Yeah. Do that. You know, people's elbow. Cody gets up, comes to ref, you know, well, he's the ref. But like, I'll figure it out. But something along those lines, like pretty much like Rock turning on Roman to beat Co- to you know allow Cody to win the championship. Then you get Rock Roman at SummerSlam, and we can leave it all. We would have been done. This would have been the way. So I don't know what you do with Rock. I don't know what you do. In certain, I mean, as long as they don't do a triple threat, as long as they don't do a triple threat, the world is safe. Everyone's going to be fine. The world of people are going to be happy. But the way I see it, I'm happy with what is is all there. Now we can have that top story be the road to WrestleMania. And the road to WrestleMania, let's get back into what we need to be talking about, is Elimination Chamber. As of this recording, which is on a Thursday, you get this on Saturday. You're welcome. I'm kidding. Let me stop being a dick. Elimination Chamber, I mean, does have a hold on my heart. It is one of the more appealing B-level pay-per-views that I like. And the fact that they're doing it in Australia, pretty sweet move. Not bad. Let's do it in Perth. I mean, let's, I mean, look at the card. Four matches, of course. Two is going to be uh, Elimination Chamber matches. Determining the who's going to be facing Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania for the Women's World Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship number one contenders join on the uh, same side. Now, like I said, as of this recording, I'm seeing four. Will there be more? No. They're going to determine the uh, qualifiers, which I'm happy about. Unfortunately, I haven't still been watching Raw or SmackDown. Just trying to keep up with it the best I can. You know, trying my best. But Elimination Chamber always has, like, has, has that hold on you. Like You've seen the first one, and that was a classic. And it had to be a classic in order for us to get over. And it's still, you know, at, uh, you know as it's grown into this matchup, it's definitely, you know, one that's still appealing to me. It did have its rough patches, not going to lie. The whole tag team one was kind of crazy, but it, it, they did it. They made it work. Boston Hill Connection with the women's tag titles. It's at its moments, and it's just one of those, like, I'm still one of those people that are still thinking this should not just be a pay-per-view on its own. It should just be a match within a pay-per-view, because I desperately want Super Brawl back into the full place. It just makes sense. Just use WCW stuff. But nonetheless, I've always liked, if you haven't noticed, I do like Elimination Chamber, and this is not a bad card. This is a pretty decent card, and the reason is because Rio Ripley is going to get Nia Jax out of the damn way. We'll talk about that when we get there, but 
process of elimination game is going to be played today twice, and it's going to be painful. Well, technically, I can't do it because I don't know all six. Hold on. Let me see if I can ref Let's see if they refreshed anything in terms of Elimination Chambers wiki. Hold, please. Okay. Act like he never used a laptop before, Zach. Jeez. <laughs> My thing's got the tab, like a tab mouse or whatever. I'm just like, and I miss a lot. No, I don't want the rules. I want the 2024 version. <laughs> Just want to do that. There we go. Now we're on the right track. Okay. Let's see if they refreshed anything. Nope, still the same shit. All right. So let me get, of course, there is a wonderful, For the, like I said, for those who are new, whenever I do predictions, you do them right. Go full tilt. You have fun with it. I mean, you're into making predictions. We're trying, you know, we're just trying to see where WWE's head at and try to get four and zero. Goal is always to go four and zero. Where is he? All right, gonna be on silent real quick because I don't want nobody to hear it. No one tell them. No one tell the new people. It's a surprise. Okay. Oh, nah. That's why you hit the pause button. You heard nothing. Okay. There we go. All right. Now we're set. Okay. You heard nothing. You heard absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sensational. Okay. So four matches on the card. I'm guessing I'm going to have to use what I got. Got to do what we got to do. It's been a while. I mean, it's only four matches, but still you can, you know, Guess with your head. Well, guess with your heart, technically, not your head. And never, not with your gut. It's four. It's late. It's presentation. We're fine. So without that, you know, without being said, with that being said, English hard. Yes! That's because we are back with the preview and predictions. Well, preview's done. Prediction time here. Four matches on the card. I'm not saying I can't go four enough. But if I get at least three, I'll be happy. Turn this down a little bit. Jeez. I mean, one of my favorite game show and theme songs of all time. But Along with Match Game. For those of you, if you know Match Game, you know Match Game. Not the new version, though. The old school version. When Nipsey, you know. When Nipsey wrestling them. For real. It's actual game show. You can watch it. It's hilarious. The old school version, no. Match Game 73 type and whatnot. Good times. So... Let us begin. Where do we really want to start? I guess we can go top to bottom. Top to bottom when we need to. We'll just do the two uh, title matches that we have on there. Let us begin with the Tag Team Championship. Between Judgment Day's Finn Bella and Damian Priest versus Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to be... Real with y'all for a moment. 
we got Pete Dunne and Tyler. We got British Strong Style in a tag team championship match. Um, for those of you who are new, as I will be saying for quite some time, as we go back into the fold, NXT UK is something I did back in the day, many moons ago. It's still here. It's still on the podcast. You can check it out. I encourage you to check it out because at least for the better part of close to two years, I covered NXT UK almost every episode through the early days, talking about all the stuff, what they're doing. I even had like the eras talking about it. What a time that was. What a time to be alive. And I am very, very happy that Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate are current, are fighting for the Undisputed Tag Team Championship. For one simple reason. For the fact that Judgment Day doesn't really need them, though. They really don't. I'm being brutally honest. I mean, they're just in the way of what is going to what I think is going to be happening at WrestleMania. I'll discuss that at a later date. But it's probably obvious to most of you. But seriously, I don't think Finn Balor and Damian Priest need... And I've been mulling it over the past couple of days and thinking about, could they really have Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate win a tag team championship? Because A, I'd be here for it, and B, I think it would just make sense. You want to focus... Like, Judgment Day doesn't need a tag team championship. For what reason? I don't know. I'm praying. Because I'm going with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate to become the new tag team champions. For one simple reason and one simple reason only. I have a strange feeling that R-Truth is going to get involved in this match and cost him the titles. For some odd reason, I have that strange feeling they're going to do that. Because think about it. In in Australia, and I, I, I am assuming that, you know, R-Truth is over everywhere. Oh, hold on, hold on. Honestly, I'm saying this probably from the, definitely from the bottom of my heart. R-Truth should be in the Hall of Fame when his career is over. For not only what he's done in the WWE all this time, what he did in NWA to make a name for himself on the come up and then become the man that he is, is our truth. I think he's a bona fide first ballot. They don't do balloting, but either way, first ballot certified grade A Hall of Famer. And I want our truth to be the sole reason they lose the tag team championship. So I'm going with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate to become the new tag team champions. Let's see how that goes. Getting back into the swing of things. Rhea Ripley, Nia Jax. Certified, legitimately certified home game for Rhea Ripley. I tend to pause a lot doing during these because there's sometimes points need to be made. If WWE should as much as even think about giving Nia Jax the Women's World Championship before they go to WrestleMania, which they won't, they were out of their minds, and we will just not be happy whatsoever. At least I won't. I can't say anything for the rest of the people that listen to me here in the YLP realm. But I will say, I think a good portion of us in the IWC would be quite upset if they gave the title to Nia Jax. Rhea Ripley's going to Mania. I'm sure there's a Nia Jax fan out there that may be thinking otherwise, and I currently, you know, understand why you believe Nia Jax beats Rhea Ripley and then goes to WrestleMania and faces Becky Lynch. No. I think not, but you are entitled to your opinion. Of course. 
But uh, but Rhea Ripley's too white hot right now. Literally and figuratively. I am just a man. I am merely just a man. Forgive me. But in all, you know, but with all I think WWE is planning for Mania, yeah, they want Rhea Ripley to be in that card. Not without the championship. She's had too good of a run for her to even lose in a certified home game. They didn't fly all this way just to have Rhea Ripley go there and lose, would they? No, we're not in Vince McMahon area. Anyway. We're in Triple H era, and Triple H logic actually says that Rhea Ripley beats Nia Jax in what will be a hopefully good match. I'm not saying that Nia Jax is terrible. I'm just saying, you know, she's not my cup of tea nor my uh, drink drink of choice, which is gin. Um, I just don't think, I mean, they've built Nia up to be something in the women's division over on Raw, and they could have done a lot better. But again, Triple H was probably handcuffed into certain things and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully not. But they, they, they tried their best. I'll give Triple H that. They tried their best with Nia Jax, and hopefully after this, this, you know, this portion of the program gets pushed to the side. Boom, that's a non-factor. And we move on with Rhea Ripley going into WrestleMania, the Women's World Champion, where she belongs. Rhea Ripley beats Nia Jax. Just want to enjoy it for a little bit. It's been a while. I might change it up this year. I don't know yet. I'm not exactly sure. The Price is Right is one of my favorite game shows, for those of you that don't know. It is one. It is just It is just the most certified game show to watch for the simple fact that if you are sick at 11 a.m., depending on what time zone you live in, know your time zones, know your math. Math, my bad. But with all, the, <laughs> with all that, you know, it's just a perfect sick day TV show to watch, besides cartoons, of course. But legitimately, one of the best game shows on the planet, and I don't think anyone, you know, would disagree with that, because it is just a very good show. And you're always rooting for, you know, the person to win, and you're hoping they're winning, you know, the trip to, you know, the to Aruba. And then you got the, you know, they got the wheel. Iconic, bro. Iconic games. Cliffhanger, all that stuff. I digress. Now, we're going to be switching over, because there's only two. You know, just title matches there, and then you get the point. Now we get over to our wonderful game that is Process of Elimination. And like I said, for those of you who know Process of Elimination, there is a certain sound that we're going to be playing throughout the entirety of this. And it is a wonderful meme. I think it's just one of the best best, memes ever that I've used here on the WowP Podcast. And it just makes absolute sense to what we're going to do here. We're going to look at at least... Well, I mean, there's less people to work with, so it's not as fun to do with it. And there have been some cliffhangers on this ones that ones that I have done incorrectly and ones that I've done somehow masterfully. I don't know how I pulled it off. I'm going to drink your water, kids, especially if you're in high altitude places. We will start with the we're actually going to start with the dudes. Actually, no, we're going to go with the ladies because there's only three. And it's not a bad three. Lynch, Belair, and Morgan. I think, honestly, at least in one aspect or another, it's safe to say, Liv Morgan. Hello, 
ridiculous but it's one of the best things i've ever done on this podcast and i'm not taking it away because <laughs> it just makes sense but there's no reason i think Liv morgan is going to be anywhere near any championship at least in the in the grand scheme of things of wrestlemania season i mean eo sky versus bailey has already been locked up and i for one am very happy about that because it is just going to be an epic match that turns bailey into a baby face and it's just going to be so SmackDown's already locked up, so we got the Royal Women's Championship, but I think right now it's not Liv's time. It's unfortunate for a lot of you, and I know at least a couple of people who are Liv Morgan Marks, and I love y'all, <laughs> but it's not her year. <laughs> at least in this at well in this year of WrestleMania, this is not her time. Liv Morgan is not going to be becoming going to WrestleMania to face Rhea Ripley for the uh, Women's World Championship there, and which leaves us with Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. Now. Let this not be any foolish nonsense. I love me some Bianca Belair. She is the reason um, that Yams 2023 and Yams 2024 is a thing. And I mean that in no insincere way. Um, she's a very fine looking woman and she can damn do some damn good shit in the ring. And let's not you know mistake the fact, you know, yes, she is attractive as fuck, but she can handle shit in the ring. And if you see what Montez be looking like when, you know, she be lifting and whatnot, you would understand too. Sue me. But with Bianca Belair, she came out at WrestleMania kickoff, talking about you know she's not you know she's got nothing going on at WrestleMania just yet, and my mind goes to you know certain things that I think WWE is thinking about doing. Um, now, given the fact that Jay Cargill is not in the as an elimination chamber plans, um, we found out that she was supposed to be, but unfortunately not the case. You know, I'm sure a lot of us, including myself, would have liked to see her in the cage because then it kind of would have worked out a little bit more for her. Uh, given, you know, working with multiple people, but I guess they're kind of biding their time, and it could be WrestleMania season. I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing it out there and see if it sticks. If it does, cool. Some will say she's not ready, but I'm different. That being, that being said, though, then you have Becky Lynch, which we saw at the WrestleMania kickoff. I uh, had a little, you know, Verbal kerfuffle, if you will, with Rhea Ripley and um, calling her a bottom, which, you know, now, now I have some people clutching some pearls there, uh, sis, and um, now, that was, that was, wow. But then they had the stare down, Adam Pierce attempted to break it up, but he ain't trying to break it up. I don't know. It was kind of like how. Uh, what last NFL season or a couple years ago when um, Evans and what was it? I'm not getting to play from the uh, Saints. Either way, those two have been, you know, Marshawn Lattimore. There we go. Have been beefing for years and have somehow gotten ejected many moon, many many a time uh, in their matchups against each other from games and then getting suspended. And yeah, that's pretty much what I'm. It's like on, I'm I'm seeing it's on site pretty much, and after what I saw at the WrestleMania kickoff, it's unfortunate, quite unfortunate. But Bianca B- Belair, hell 
No, but I'm going to go with Becky Lynch. And what we saw at the WrestleMania kickoff basically gave you the, all the answers you needed right in front of your face. It's Becky Lynch versus Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. It just makes sense. That's the uh, direction they want to go. I understand. We only did, A, we only did three. B, you know, Becky should be the match. As much as I would love to have that feud to give me my NXT vibes all over again. I don't think they're ready for that. And honestly, right now, Rhea's... Rain is about to come to an end. Had they wanted to do it, I'm sure. Did certain people probably would be like, nah, fam, we good? Yeah, I'd like to say that, um, yes, that was a thing. They will have that. And hopefully, I think that's, I would hopefully think that would be Rhea's first feud post-mania. I'm not going to say anything else. But, Becky, it's, it's, it's Becky versus Rhea. There's there's no two ways about it. There's no other way we need to explain it and all this stuff. I'm surprised there wasn't more that they haven't, you know, figured out yet. I'm surprised there, you know, there was only three that we had to work with, but we're, you know, we're using what we got. But now we move over to the men's side of things, and at least they have four. That's not being mean. They have four. There you go. Drew McIntyre. Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, and L.A. Knight. Yeah. First one of the year. Got it. But, of these four, there are some at least believable ones and many not-so-believable ones. I believe there's two ma- there is two matches left. Uh... Oh, I don't remember any of this right now. What are we doing? Logan Paul, Kevin Owens. There's another one. There is another one. Almost forgot the word qualifying. There we go. And now we're spelling backwards. Bobby Lashley beat Bronson Reed? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Gonna get Reed the rub? That's crazy. Elliot Knight beat Ivar. That's, I mean, it sucks for Eric. It, you know, I believe he's injured. So I'm just like, dang. That's crazy. I think, yeah, I think it, I know it's, I know one of them is Logan Paul and Kevin Owens, and I can't remember the other one. We're just gonna look randomly and see what happens. Well, they haven't done Styles yet, so Styles will probably be in there. So no, Zayn's not. If it, if it's AJ Styles, Dominic Mysterio, I just give you just let's just go with uh, AJ there. My apologies on not doing it this way for the ladies and whatnot. My apologies. Do 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 do. 
Oh, no, Drew McIntyre beat AJ Styles and then Randy Orton defeated Sami Zayn, so we don't have to worry about that. Okay, so that leaves us. Logan Paul, Kevin Owens. Orton's there. He's out. Him and him. <laughs> what is it, The Miz? See, I mean, last season they're already Ivar's out, Drew's out, Sami Zayn's out. The Miz and Dominic Mysterio, okay. And for some reason, I think they're gonna have the Miz, which will be hilarious. I really would like. I mean, I mean, Brie Bruce, I would love, love, love to have you know Damian Priest in there. Just saying, would love that. That'd been cool. My apologies, just getting rid of some text. All right. Okay. So let's just say we got the four. You put the Miz and. Will they put Logan Paul in there? I think they would put Logan Paul in there. If they're wanting to sell it at LA Knight and Logan Paul, and this is just my opinion, I think Logan Knight, Logan Knight, Logan Paul in LA Knight, yeah. But should have that, and that should just be, you know, LA Knight's moment at Mania, unless they want to keep the title on pause since they got the extension. I'm not sure. We'll see. Let's just assume... Logan Paul and the and the Miz get in there. For some reason, I think they'll do the Miz because they're crazy enough. If they dominate, that would be wild. Mind you, I'm recording this before SmackDown, just so you guys know. So you get the Miz, Logan Paul, LA Knight. Bobby Lashley, Orton, McIntyre. Not the greatest. I mean, it's not a bad six. If they want to put Dominic Mysterio in there, we can, we'll can. we do that. Actually, you know what? Let's do Mysterio instead of the Miz. Miz, Miz we're good. Um, and, and again, you know, love to Maurice and hope you, you know, everything goes well in your recovery from the tumors. Just, just want to make sure I put that out there. Again, if I hadn't, if I hadn't said it already on the podcast, because that is a serious thing and... We're rooting for you. At least, at least, no, at least on behalf of the YLP realm and on behalf of WrestleMania Radio, we are rooting for you. All right. So I think we get. So I think because of that, we'll have the Miz lose to Mysterio and have Mysterio in the match. So that way, the Miz can be with Maurice. All the happy, good stuff. All the good vibes coming their way. We're sending the good. Let's send the good vibes to them. All the good vibes. So we have our six: Mysterio, Logan Paul, Elliot Knight. Lashley, Orton, McIntyre. With that being said, Dominic Mysterio. Just no. It's... I think it's just going to be there at least, to, I guess, to help Drew McIntyre. I'm not sure. Have it as a buffer, if you will. But I don't think he's going to be winning the chamber anytime. Like, you know, not yet. He might. There's a possibility there. He could. Somewhere down the line. Right now? 
Mm-mm. We're good on that. And we're down to five. Paul, Knight, Lashley, Orton, McIntyre. <laughs> I think this one's pretty obvious, too. Bobby Lashley. Focus on getting her business 2.0 up running, please. Because, I mean, yes, they're baby faces, but we, we need to start at least post-mania getting these three over. And BFAB is now in there, too, I believe. So that's good for her. That, hopefully that's a good opportunity for her to actually, you know, get into a, a you know, a, a decent, you know, stable and be able to, you know, shine and show her, you know, show what she can do within the group. But Bobby Lashley, ain't, you know, they haven't had him do jack shit for the majority of 2023, at least from what I saw. And I don't think at least for the roads of WrestleMania, they have jack shit for him at all. Um... I don't know what they'll be doing with Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania, but I do know that it ain't going to be anything involving um, any World Heavyweight Championship aspirations coming down the line. So, Bobby Lashley, I'm sorry, sir. This is not your year. And now we're down to four. I'm sure some of y'all would want him to win the Rumble, but he's got other plans at Mania. Logan Paul. No. <laughs> and that's not to say that he maybe somewhere down the line doesn't win our win a chamber. I think WWE has enough faith in him to know to think this is a guy we actually want to have work with us. We signed him to an extension. You know what I mean? And now, you know, this is an opportunity for him to get in the chamber and actually, you know, see what he can do within the confines of the however many tons of steel, because that thing is, and they've revamped it too, so it's crazy. Um, he's going to do a crazy spot. We know this. If you have Logan Paul in the match, again, I'm recording before they do this match, but more than likely, so hopefully... Logan Paul, you know, beats Kevin Owens. If not, we're, this is going to be a really, really weird day at the office on Saturday. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm just going off of what my, how my mind works and how I think the story will progress. Um, all that good stuff. I believe we now have three. L.A. Knight, Randy Orton, and Drew McIntyre. Now, hopefully, this leads to something for him at WrestleMania, but he ain't going to win the Chamber, and I'm sure that most of you will be very upset, including myself in some portion of my being, but L.A. Knight. You may say yeah, but unfortunately for you on this day, I say no. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Slip. 
<laughs> I would love to see LA Knight win the chamber. It would be a really dope moment for him and to face, you know, Seth Rollins and have that moment. That would be wild. That would be wild, but I don't think I mean I'm sure, I mean, if they do it, that would be crazy. I'll be perfectly fine with that. I think Knight Rollins would be one hell of a world heavyweight championship match. But I think for the direction of where the World Heavyweight Championship is going at WrestleMania, there is only one person that is going to rightfully win this. And it's unfortunately not LA Knight. It's unfortunate, but we have to we have the ball nonetheless. Which leaves us with two. Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. One match I've seen already. Well, I've actually seen both. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Can be wrong, though. But let's be brutally honest here. Let us be brutally honest. There's only one man who is rightfully going to WrestleMania to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship. But his name is not Randy Orton. Sometimes you gotta let it run on the last one. But no. Randy Orton is not gonna be going to WrestleMania to face Seth Rollins. That man is going to be Drew McIntyre. For one reason and one reason only. Actually, no, there's many reasons. But this is the main one. The story that can be told at WrestleMania. If this is to be your night one main event. If Seth Rollins is to main event night one at WrestleMania 40 on April 6th, 2024, the only person I can see standing across from Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 40 on April 6th, 2024 is Drew McIntyre. And everything that's going on with the Judgment Day and Seth Rollins is le- leads to this. You, the McIntyre Rollins should be the move. McIntyre Rollins should have always been the move. If it wasn't going to be CM Punk, Drew McIntyre was right there. Because you have the infighting with the Judgment Day and Damian Priest has the briefcase. I'm just saying. Ice of the Century Part 2 could happen. And it could happen to Seth Rollins. The man who actually had done the heist of the century. To Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. At 31, if I'm not mistaken. The part, the moment that saved that match. Um, (laughs) But no, that's the story that needs to be told now. If it's not going to be CM Punk versus Seth Rollins at WrestleMania night one in the main event. Your audible was always Drew McIntyre. And now you can actually focus on the briefcase. You can focus on the stare. You can focus on the even more of the infighting between Priest and McIntyre. That just has that dynamic that's always been there since Drew McIntyre was brought into the full by Mommy. 
And shout out to Damien Priest for actually coming up with the concept of mommy. So, fun fact of the day if you didn't know that. Yes, Damien Priest is the master, is the reason Ripley, Rhea Ripley is, but he is the mastermind between, behind mommy. Which is dope as fuck. And that's why, I, and that's why we love professional wrestling. Little things like that. Um, but no, I think, I think McIntyre's the guy. McIntyre is the move to make. McIntyre's the call. It just makes sense. Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins at WrestleMania with the da- and Damian Priest with the briefcase, cre- you know, creating even more nonsense within the Judgment Day. You know, it just makes sense. And then whatever you do with JD McDonough and Mysterio and Truth, you know, you go from there. But that's the story I think you need to tell as we go into the last bit of you know the last five weeks of uh, Mania, four or five weeks. See. Yeah, last five weeks. Of, uh, last five weeks of the build. You just have that focus on McIntyre, Rollins, and Priest. It is tailor made for this. We just got to get Drew McIntyre in the chamber, winning the chamber, and then we can go on to the last five weeks before we get to WrestleMania forty. Drew McIntyre's the guy. That's that's all I need to say about that. But ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude episode 379 of the YLP Podcast. When we come back, we'll close out the show in proper YLP fashion and get you ready for episode 380 of the YLP Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Guys, that's going to be it for episode 379 of the YLP Podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. As always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the YLP Podcast, in terms of social media, you can follow me on Twitter at YL Perspective. That's capital YLP Perspective. You can find me over on Instagram at young underscore lions underscore perspective to stay updated with anything that's going on with the podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or opinions about today's episode or any of the other 378 episodes of the YLP podcast, don't you dare hesitate to hit your boy up with a nice little email over at younglionsperspective at gmail.com. Also, that, that all goes with articles, too. If you find any articles going into the week that I find useful for going into as the uh, going into the Elimination Chamber, send it to me. And if I think it's viable enough to be a part of the show, I'll shout you out and definitely read your article that you sent me. All love around here. So, of course, I know you can find this podcast on, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, until April 2nd. Yes, Google Podcasts made the announcement that as of April 2nd, uh, all podcasts, well, pretty much Google Podcasts will cease to exist and there will be no more. So um, you can, exp- if you want to actually get onto it, make sure you export the podcast so you, and if, you know, to stick up with everything that's going on with the YLP Podcast. Uh, yeah, you can, of course, export your, subscri- export your subscription 
to the YLP podcast. Make sure you get that exported so you can make sure you listen to it every single week because you don't want to miss out, especially since they're given the fact that we are on the road to WrestleMania and we are going to have lots of fun over these next few weeks, just so you guys know. WrestleMania season is everything in the world of professional wrestling for most of us who do podcasting and all that stuff. So it is going to be a banger of a time. I want to make sure you are along with me on this ride, of course. And um, yeah. So keep in mind with that with Google Podcasts, but you can still find me on there until April 2nd, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, of course, the home that is the YLP Podcast on Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. So what do we have on the docket next week? Fairly simple. We're going to be talking about all, well, pretty much it's going to be all news of the week for the most part. But I'll give you guys the next uh, the lineup for the next couple of weeks. So we'll just have regular news of the week going down next week. We'll be talking about, of course, Elimination Chamber news, anything that goes down, all that stuff. And then on March 2nd, the first March episode of this, y'all, we will be talking about the Elimination Chamber review. We're going to be reviewing the entirety of what happened and what went down in Elimination Chamber 2024, as well as a bit of the news of the week coming out of it and around the world of professional wrestling that's what's going to be going down for at least the next couple of weeks so y'all might want to stick around and stay tuned i'm not going to keep you guys too long guys enjoy the remainder of your weekend if you're going to be going out this weekend of course please make sure you drink responsibly drink one for your boy of course but make sure you take that uber or lift home because you don't want to get caught up in no dui genjutsu i promise you not speaking from experience but i've known people who have and from what i've heard it is not a pretty process so enjoy yourself but be responsible about it drink one for your boy as always as i don't drink often but yeah enjoy the rest of your weekend and i'll see you guys right back here next saturday for episode 380 of the y l p podcast see you This has been a Wrestle Attic Radio branded podcast.